Good morning. Good to see all of you. And it's so nice to uh, worship together and to um, just sitting in the front just to hear everyone sing. And you guys sound so good. Well, the ones that were singing and, um, and sounding good. And so it's nice to worship together in this way. You know, we continue our series about walking with God. And today we're going to talk about this idea of doing justice. You know, it's interesting because um, we, we had planned these sermon series a long time back, and we had planned um, also for Link um, to come and um, be with us. And it wasn't set and planned, for example, uh, particular, but it always works out this way and ends up being kind of a very timeless, timely message for us. You know, when we think about walking with God, um, we don't think about justice, for example. It seems like another topic. It's like a social justice topic. Um, and then walking with God is kind of my personal religion topic. But really, uh, when you look at the Bible, the, the two are intertwined. You cannot walk with God unless you are loving others. Um, so walking with God is not my own religious activities, reading my Bible, saying my prayers at night, um, going to church. and me. It's, it's far more than that. Uh, walking with God is kind of like a, a marriage, for example. There's a lot of different aspects of Marriage. There's a lot of things that you should be doing and the way you should interact with one another. And same way with God. There's it's many different facets. And one of them is justice. And you think about justice, we all love justice. We all crave justice. It satisfies us. Um, think about when you were a little kid. Right? How many of you, and I want you to show, how many of you had siblings? Raise your hand. You have or have siblings. Yeah. How many of you, now keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. How many of you um, fought with your siblings. Just keep your hands up, right? It's all of us, right? Basically, now you can put it down now. Um, and, and so, why, why did you fight? It was over justice, wasn't it? Like, you got that first, and I should have got this. You got a dress that's okay. You know, for, if you have a sister, right? You know, you you take my dress, you borrowed it. It was mine. Um, I, I grew up with two brothers. We used to fight over food. Like that was the biggest thing. We didn't care about clothes or anything. It was just food. And you got more than I did. Uh, we're going to have to fight um, and try to kill each other because you, and, um, and some of you laugh because you've had those fights. We love justice as kids. We, we, we tell our teachers, I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell on you because we want justice. And we see it today. Uh, even in, um, I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed and they made that big announcement. And all the news, uh, it was all over and people, were just having these spontaneous celebrations. It wasn't planned. It wasn't orchestrated. They just went out in the streets in New York and Times Square, and there was a big group of people at, um, at the White House, and they were just celebrating. And there's something about justice that we love. It satisfies us. It's something that we say, boy, it's just right. The reason it is so appealing to us, the reason it satisfies us because, is because our maker loves justice. And so we're made in his image, and he wants justice. Now, the difference between us and him is this. We often consider justice just for ourselves. The older we get, a lot of times we think justice is just for me. Like, I want mercy when it's my fault, but I want justice if someone's against me. If someone, man, has given you, um, has rejected you because of your ethnicity or your looks, boy, racism, and you're just angry, you want them to get even, but... Um, you know, for example, you know, or, or if you are speeding along and you get a ticket and it's your fault, right? But you, what do you say? Gosh, you know, show some mercy. Like, you know, like, I'm a good guy. Why would you do this? And I, I've gotten pulled over. 
And I've pulled out my pastor excuse a few times, and it's worked once. Um, I was at a conference. I got pulled over, and they said, okay, you know, um, what do you, why, why are you here? Why are you going so fast? And I said, I'm going to a pastor's conference. And um, the police officer, this was down in the south, and he was like, you are? You're a pastor? I am. So thou shalt you know, let me go. You know, and, um, and he said, all right, I'm going to let you go, sir. And I was like, God bless you. you know, and <laughs> you know, I pray for you. you know, and um, it was so good. Uh, but, if we, but if someone cuts us off, right? someone cuts you off, and you're like, where is the police when you need them? Right? You, want, you want something to happen. And if ever there was a time, if they did ever get caught, you're like, this is so satisfying. They deserve this. They, they, they cut me off, right? God's justice is all about the other. God's justice is not my appeasement, but he says, oh, how are they being taken care of? Because when they are taken care of, it appeases him. And so we're like him, and yet our sin has changed what is good in him. The justice is supposed to help others, but now we just focus on ourselves. And in this message, this timely message in Micah, when the northern kingdom is prosperous, you know, the Assyrian invasion is done, it's kind of calmed down, it's post-war, people are doing well. And one commentator says, they witnessed the emergence of a wealthy upper class. Things are going well. What we're starting to see is injustice. People taking advantage of other people. People not caring for the poor, not caring for the widows. People didn't care because they started having more and more things. And it's interesting, it's in Micah 6.14, for example, it says, you shall eat but not be satisfied. Um, one of the things that was happening to them is they were just now eating and not being satisfied. The idea is they were just greedy. And he says, all you people are just turning greedy. And you now have so much and all you do is you want more for yourself. And we have to be very careful because doesn't this sound like he's talking to us here in Orange County in L.A.? He's talking to us. Because none of us worry about the next meal we're going to get or none of us really worry about those things. But yet we are consumed with getting more. We don't have enough. And he gives us this timely message. It starts out by saying in this very famous passage what he doesn't want. Versus what he wants. And he's speaking to the rich people of the day. He's speaking to us today. What does he not want? What is the Christian walk not about? And it's mentioned in verse 6 and 7. Right? It's a religion that, does not, uh, that God doesn't want. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Now, he's saying, should I go through some kind of ceremony? Is that what you want, God? Do you want me to go and be involved in a ceremony? Do you want me to sacrifice my stuff? Do you want me to give you something that's valuable? Do you want me to give you money? God is saying, that's not what it's about. Right? Shall I come before God um, with burnt offerings? Is that appeasing to him? Now, it says here, with calves a year old. You know, commentators have said, you know, when you give... Uh, when they would give a sacrifice, after the seventh day, you're able to give a calf or whatever animal as a sacrifice. But to wait a year, it's quite an investment. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of taking care of. And you would grow attached to the animal. And it's now a bigger sacrifice to wait a year. So what Micah is saying, what God is saying through Micah is, yeah, you think you can give something even this valuable, even a calf a year old? Is that what God wants? 
And later, he, in, verse, in the next verse, verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's saying, can you really give to God and think that God is impressed? Now, we do this, don't we? I mean, my, my kids are at age, they get allowance, um, you know, for doing their chores, and they, they get it regardless, but they get an allowance, and they're supposed to kind of take care of their money, um, and then the grandparents come kind of ruin it all because they just give them money for no reason, right, for just being bad. Here's, here's 100 bucks or whatever, and they get money. Um, and then we'll have these discussions, and we've all had this with our parents or even with our kids. And youth parents, you guys know, you have this where they say, can I go buy this? I really need those beats or whatever. You know, can I get that? I'm like, you don't need that. I'm like, you really don't need that. And, you know, this is the best line, right? I'll just buy it with my own money, right? It's kind of saying like, hey, um, quiet old man, I'll just buy it with my own money. Um, That's what it's indirectly saying. Or if I want to take it away, it's like, hey, whoa, 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 I bought it with my own money. And I was like, okay, you, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, is that really your own money? Um, you know, rent in Brea, just to get a room, might cost you five, $600 a month. There's health care. There's, um, you know, all the rides that I've given you. I'm kind of expensive, I'm, you know. Um, even if it's just like, you know, Uber, right? I, I would charge you more. Um, all the shoes I bought you. You know, your feet just keep growing. And all the shoes and your braces and the haircuts and the glasses and... And the three meals a day, sometimes four. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get it, right? And we, we've done that. It's like us going to God. And that's like us going to God. To God, I'm going to give you this. This is $100, God. Boy, boy, you owe me one now, God. God, this is mine, but I'm going to give you this. Would you be pleased with this? God, I'm going to give you not 10%, but 12%, God. I'm giving you this. Or I'm going to, God says, really, even if you gave, Ten, the thousands of rams and the ten thousands of rivers of oil, because it's all mine anyways. It's like a child saying, here, here is $5. I'll give you $5. If you, it's all mine anyways, the parent says. And this is what God says. You can't come to me in this way. And the same message is written. He says, you know, I don't want you to go and have religious experiences. I don't want you to go and give, do your religious duties. I want your love. I want how you treat others. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know so well, Paul says the same message, basically. And I want to read just a little bit in verse 1 and on. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. From God's perspective, it's how we love the people around us that matter. You know, in the Old Testament, and scholars have summed it up, and they call it the quartet of the vulnerable. These four groups that are mentioned over and over and over in the Bible. And the quartet of the vulnerable are listed in Zechariah 7, 9 and 10. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Here are the four groups. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you despise evil against one in your heart. These are the four groups, and they're mentioned all throughout, all the way to James, it's mentioned. The widow, who in those days, if they didn't have a man in the house, they couldn't provide. They would end up homeless. The orphan, 
who was fatherless would end up most likely on the streets begging. The sojourner who was not familiar, and God kept saying, leave a bit of your crop. For those who are, leave a little bit of your crop so they could come and glean from that. They could have some food. The poor. And you look at our world today, and we have all these around us. And what are we called to do? In the passage that we know so well, Micah 6, 8, he tells us to do three things. Number one is to do justice. All right, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice. And the word there, we see do justice, is, is, um, it's an action word. It's saying go and do something, be active about it. And so when it says here in the ESV, it's to do justice. Um, what's the opposite of doing justice? Is someone who's apathetic? Someone who talks justice? Um, someone who talks about it? Someone who studies it maybe? Someone who debates it? Someone who might share it on Facebook? He said, more than that, go and do justice. People of God, you have to do justice. It has to be a part of your life. So the opposite is someone who says, I don't, I don't know, I don't care. Um, I know I should, but I don't. I'm too busy. We all fall in that category of the opposite of doing justice. Um, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, boy, the leaders of Israel, they, they detest justice. What that means is they were doing nothing. They were taking advantage of people, and as long as they were taken care of, they didn't care. Long as I am taken care of, who cares? And it is very easy, it's a very slippery slope to fall into that category for all of us. Where we live, what we do, the message we keep hearing, what our kids go through, what our work life is like, and you go back to work and everyone's talking about their life and their things, and we think, boy, as long as my life's okay, but it isn't. We have to do justice. You know, our church, we have things going. We have a lot of things, and uh, I have people that are outside of our church says, man, Crossway does a lot of things. But in, in perspective, it's not much. It really isn't. It, we should be doing more. You know, but we, we continually just put that out there, 6 eight initiative, go out, go out for a couple hours, you know, go and help somebody. Um, not only is it on a Saturday, it's on a Sunday, it's on a Tuesday. Yeah, schedule's busy. Try to squeeze that in somewhere. I encourage all of you to go. I want our church to go because it's a discipleship process. Discipleship is, yeah, learning the Bible and we pray and being led, um, you know, in the word is very important. But another part is to go and experience this. Go and learn this. Go and get our hands dirty. This is what this feels like. This is what shaking a hand with someone who, man, could not take a shower because they didn't have access to what that feels like. This is what it looks like to go into a house of someone that you say, oh, it smells so bad. I don't know if I can go. This is what it looks like. This is what changes us. So go and do justice. Secondly, it's to love kindness. So if do justice is the action, love kindness is the inner attitude. To love it. Don't ignore it. Love it. Make that part of your love. What's the opposite? It's someone who does not like it. Someone who is unmerciful. Someone who says, I, I don't care about them. It's their fault. Um, being kind is being kind to those who can't pay you back. Being kind to those who is not going to benefit you because you benefit them. It's not taking your boss out for a meal or, you know, so and so. It's being kind to someone that can't pay you back. 
Um, and that's what we see here. Do justice, love kindness. And I think all of us, I think all of you have some kind of a burden on your heart for something. Whether it is, you know, uh, really, you know, helping those who are aborting their babies or the orphans or human trafficking or the plight of these uh, poor people that are just barely getting by in North Korea or whatever it is. I think all of us have something. But what we do in time is that fire is in our heart and we try to put it out. We try to ignore it because life just gets so busy. Life just gets so hard. And we say, ah, that was a youthful thing. That was a college thing. I just, I, I'm going to put that away. And we try to put it out. But I, I want to encourage you to fan that fire, man. Let it consume you. Let it burn. And so if it is, man, global missions or, man, just the, the local outreach for those who are struggling as our neighbors, man, say, how can I go? What should I do? Go and talk to the people. Go and get involved. Go and read a book on it. And just fan that fire. You will not look back and say, boy, I wish I would have done less. You won't. You won't say, I wish I would have done less outreach. I wish I would have given less of myself. I wish I was more selfish. You won't. The regret you'll have is, I wish I would have done more. To love kindness in this way. And thirdly, is to walk humbly with your God. Someone who doesn't walk humbly is someone who doesn't walk with God. Someone who is arrogant before God. He says to walk humbly with your God. You know, uh, one of the, you know, kind of the, the, what is it, the chores that I have, I do at my house is kind of a list. It's not like I get a, you know, I don't get paid for that like my kids do, but I, I have to do it. I got trash sometimes, you know, uh, the dog stuff, anything that deals with like fleas or poo, you know, or walking the dog. And uh, Daisy, our Yorkie, six and a half pounds, well, I think she's like eight pounds. She gained some weight since she joined our house. She's living a good life. I have to walk Daisy, right, um, with her pink collar. And I walk her, um, and I endure the snickering and the judgment of people walking their dogs, the men walking their German shepherds, and say, hey, who cares, you know? Um, and, I, I, and, and the old lady's waving at my dog, not at me, and I endure that, and I walk my dog. When I walk my dog, if it's up to her, she wants to go everywhere, right? And I have to keep training her, so I always hold her behind me. I'm like, you follow me. Like, I just bought your food. You better follow me, right? And... Um, I'm the owner. You're an animal. You're just an animal. Follow me. But she thinks she's the human and I'm the animal. I don't know. And so, um, and I'm always putting her behind me. And she's always trying to jump ahead. Getting in between our legs. I walk with my wife. She's always trying to get in between us. Get in the conversation like she understands. And so I'm always pulling her back. Like, animal, get behind me. You wild, wild beast. Um, Daisy, get behind me. Um, uh, and it's, you know, us going to God and saying, God, here's my plan. This is what my mom wanted my life to be like. And so, God, I hope you um, help me out get this. That's what we do often. That's not walking humbly with your God. It's not us going to God and say, God, you know, this is my agenda. I hope you fit in somewhere. I'll squeeze you in when I can, but just help me get to point B. One of the bumper stickers I see, I don't see it as much, but I see it drives me crazy. You know, it says, what, God is my co-pilot? Drives me crazy, right? He's not your co-pilot. So, oh, you're going to pick the destination. He's just there to watch and cheer you on and, like, just kind of help you. And you're going to tell him what to do. I see that. I want to tear it off. But I, I uh, you know, I, I don't want to go to jail, you know, or whatever. Um, but I do want to tear it off, right? Um, but really, that, that's the idea. To walk humbly with your God. 
your covenant God. It's your God, not a God, not the God, but it's your God, the one you are in a covenant with. You walk humbly. You say, God, where do you want me to go? I'll follow. God, what do you want me to do? I'll live. How do you want me to live? I'll live this way. And you walk humbly, thanking him. And the person who is not humble towards God often has complaints towards God, often has some weird expectations of God. God, why did this happen? God, why didn't you give me this? God, why is my life like this? Um, often has these weird demands. God, if I, if I do my magic, aren't you supposed to fulfill your end of the bargain? If I say this prayer in this way, if I do this this way, aren't you supposed to do this? And we try to summon God in this way. We, that's not humbly walking before God. And he tells us to do this, to walk humbly before him. There's a, a, a man in history that has done this, uh, William Wilberforce. And I want to share a little bit about him before we wrap up. William Wilberforce um, is um, someone who abolished, helped abolish slavery in England in the 1800s. Um, Oz Guinness talks about him and says, Wilberforce was the most successful social reformer in the history of the world. And we in America don't learn much about him as versus uh, Lincoln or MLK Jr. or so on. Um, but really what he did was monumental. And in the late 1700s, um, what the culture of the day was when he was just a teenager, um, the, the economics behind slave selling and trading was so big that they would go and often really capture and steal 35,000 to 50,000 slaves a year from the coast of Africa. And they would bring them back and they would sell them as property. And he saw this and uh, um, there was a, a time in his young life he comes to accept Christ. He hears preaching and he slowly comes to accept Christ and it changes him radically. It changes him radically. He had the goal to abolish, abolish slavery and live a holy life. That was his twofold goal in his life. And he is someone that's recorded as, um, he wasn't particularly big, he wasn't strong, but he makes his way into uh, parliament and he now fights for this. And people have come into his life and they are now helping him to fight for the slaves. And uh, uh, some of the things that are mentioned about him, for example, is in 1789, he now puts a bill at uh, at Parliament and wants it to get passed, abolish the trading of slavery, it gets rejected. He does it again in 1791, gets rejected, defeated again. 92, he's defeated again. 93, he's defeated at the vote. 97, he's defeated. 1798, he's defeated again. In 1799, he's defeated again. 1804, his bill's defeated again. 1805, he's defeated again. And by this point, he has such a target on his back, people do not want to be seen in public with him. Because he, people were now slandering him and they were attacking him personally. But in 1808, they had abolished the trading of slaves and this was uh, a small step in the greater picture of making slavery completely illegal, abolishing it. And the story goes in... July 26th of 1833, the abolition of slavery bill passed in the House of Commons. And a young messenger who had heard runs to now um, Wilberforce, who is in his deathbed. And he runs to him and tells him the good news and he has spent his whole life fighting for. Three days later, July 29th, 1833, William Wilberforce dies. Three days after this, his life is changed. 
You know, Eric Metaxas in his biography on him talks about him. He says, Wilberforce prayed and read the scriptures every day. He prayed with many others over these issues and concerns. He memorized lots of scriptures. He memorized Psalm 119. He talks also about the community of people he was in. He was fanning his fire by being with people who thought the same thing, had the same burden. And they would meet and pray and talk and plan. And he gave his life to this. And he made a difference in this way. We see a story of that in the Bible when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And Zacchaeus, the tax collector, climbs on a tree because he can't see Jesus over the crowd. And he is calling him out. And Jesus now calls him, says, I'll go to your house today. And it's at that moment after he meets Jesus, he says he decides to give half of all of his wealth, half of it, to the poor. And he says, whoever I have uh, ripped off, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. But he gives half of the to the poor. Is it his piety at this time? Is it him trying to please God? Or is it him trying to get acceptance from God? No. I think his view of people changed because of Jesus. I think his perspective changed on justice and loving kindness. I think Jesus transformed him. He was able to give away half of this. Even Wilberforce is known as saying he gave a quarter of his income away all the time. And he, he, he took care of the widows of the day and the juvenile delinquents of the day. And there were many other causes that we don't know about. Our encounter with Jesus changes us. It makes us sensitive to the things that he loves. God loves justice. And we say, gosh, I have to now do this. And think about this. In this world that we live in, if the Christians, if the Christians don't step up and do something, who will? Who are we waiting for? Who is supposed to do this? The government? Is it, you know, is it a certain group of people? Is it a humanist group? No. Who is supposed to do this? It's the people of faith who view God in a high way. And I want to challenge you. Um, as you live your life, and it's flying by, summer is approaching already, it's going by. As you live your life, to prepare to mix in doing some kind of justice work in my life. And so what does it look like? How much can I give? What can I do? How will I spend my time? What will I be known for? For me hoarding a lot of things or me helping a lot of people? And dig in your heart and say, what is that one thing that God has placed on me? What am I going to do? What should I do? And fan that fire and ask God to use you. By ourselves, we are weak, but with him, we could do much. And so I want to encourage you today. Do something. Do something. God loves those people and so do we. And he loved us while we were poor and broke and had nothing to offer him. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we have received so much from you. And uh, you love us. You love those who are um, broken and poor. And God, you, you care for them. And God, we care for them. And we want to now use what you give us to be a just people, a people who love kindness, a people who walk humbly before you. So Lord, that's our walk. That's our life. That's how we want to live. 
week in and week out, on our way to work and chasing the kids around or uh, finishing school or whatever it is we're doing. And the madness of our schedules, God, we still want to walk with you. And we want to stop like the Good Samaritan at the side of the road. And we want to do something. Help us to do that, God. We pray in Jesus' name.